Hello and welcome to Voices of the Industry, a podcast series bringing you leading industry voices who challenge thinking across transportation, infrastructure and cities. Well, welcome to listeners to another Voices of Industry Steer post. Very grateful for you joining in today. I'm Mike Goggin. I'm a Managing Director with Steer here in London. Our Voices of Industry conversations take insight from leaders from across the globe alongside the Steer footprint and give views on infrastructure, cities, transport and financing. And on our website, you'll see over 30 plus speakers who have been able to talk to us over the years and give us their views. Today is a very exciting conversation, a unique conversation, I think. If you think about intercity passenger travel in the United States, there's one name that comes to mind, and that's Amtrak. It is the heart of Americans' mobility system. It's also got a very exciting future. President Biden has passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill, providing an additional funding for expansion of the network the largest investment in passenger rail since Amtrak's creation in 1970. So it's definitely an exciting time. With this positive context, the corporation has set out some bold ambitions for its sustainability credentials and what it achieves to do with net zero. And there is still more to come. A plan to double its ridership by 2040 through further fruit route expansion. So without further ado, let me introduce my companions on the conversation today. Dennis Newman, Executive Vice President for Strategy and Planning. Dennis has been in Amtrak since 2017, and prior to that, had a good successful career in aviation working at senior levels. So it'll be interesting to hear the contrast between those two sectors. Uh, Good morning, Dennis. How are you today? Good morning, Mike. I'm very well today. How about you? I'm very good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to just bring in Serb Kohli. Serbjeet, welcome. Steers Head of Sustainability. Serb, I hope you don't mind if I refer to you as a seasoned consultant, having uh, worked with Steer on four continents and across multiple modes. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Great. A pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have Dennis with us to talk about something so interesting that goes really close to what we as a business and we as as individuals want to achieve out of the future that lies ahead of us. I, I think I think my very recent 4th of July experience was to travel on the Amtrak's capital corridor between San Jose and uh, Sacramento. And, and I was fascinated by how comfortable that journey was, how beautiful the landscape was. California has had a gorgeous amount of rainfall after about 10 years. And I was shocked how few people were on it. So that's something else, which I think, you know, the mode train by itself is a sustainable mode of travel. And now taking that further, which is what I understand Dennis and his team are trying to achieve, should be a fascinating journey to go and walk through and understand what's happening in that journey. Thank you for having me. Thanks, sir. Dennis, you heard my pen portrait of Amtrak. It's very hard to sum up a 50-year-old organization and the the scale and the span. What have I missed? What would you like to say? How would you describe Amtrak and what your mission is at the moment? Well, Mike, you did actually a pretty pretty good job of of summarizing Amtrak and what we do. We are definitely unique, right? We are uh, we're actually a private company. We just happen to be owned by the United States government. That's one of the unique things. You talked about our uh, where we are in terms of our future, and this really is an exciting and critical time for us. That's you, know, you mentioned have us having 19,000 employees. In fact, we have 21,000 employees now. Um, we have then, you know, as a result of the position we're in with the, the bipartisan infrastructure law having passed, we are now building up both our capital delivery 
part of our organization so that we at last can actually be making some of the improvements to some of our aging infrastructure that that really does need to be brought into the the 21st century, some some elements that just need to be replaced. And so we've been building up and able to do that. But also, as coming out of the pandemic, bringing back our service, and as you mentioned, we've got ambitions to, to grow the network quite a bit and be able to deliver more mobility benefits to more of America. So it's really an exciting time for us at Amtrak. It sounds it. It sounds it. And before we talk forward, can I just ask what I was really intrigued. I mean, you've been with Amtrak, what, six, seven years now uh, and coming, as I say, your 17 plus years with with aviation before that and, and another career before that. Is there any big reflection that you take from moving from aviation to the railroad corporation? Did you see a big contrast in the way that they th- they think about things? You know, I think there's a lot that's that's really similar, right? We're um, in in both cases, we're about moving people at base. It's it's giving people the opportunity to be mobile and get from one location to another. A lot of the considerations, you know, I spent a lot of my my airline career in network planning. A lot of the considerations of trying to figure out, okay, well, where can you be? Uh, successful, really, where can you deliver a, a relevant product? Similar kinds of analytical techniques to try to figure that out. But I will say that while there are some, and we'll, we'll talk about these, you know, just sustainability is, is one of the benefits, uh, key benefits of, of rail um, relative to air travel. Um, but also there are some more constraints and challenges. Um, as I always say to folks, you, you don't have to build air, but you do have to build rail in order to uh, get where you want to go. And so that can be, that adds a few more challenges. But, you know, in big picture, a lot of similarities, you know, and both obviously customer service issues that are that are key, high fixed asset component to the business. So there's a lot that's transferable. Well, a lot that's, a lot that's different. And you're still enjoying it after seven years. Still much to do, as you say. Oh, absolutely. And as I said, it's such an exciting time to be here that what's not to enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So look, we teed this up as a conversation about sustainability. So let, let's get into that. And I wanted to start with where the imperative for Amtrak has come from. Because when I read around a bit about the topic, it, it's very clear the organization has ambition to really drive forward its sustainability contributions and minimize its environmental impact. So I, I'm wondering where, where did that providence come from? What's what's driving the organization? Well, I think there's a, a few things that I would say to that question. One is, you know, we start from being a mode that that is more sustainable. So part of our competitive advantage is that we are a more sustainable mode of travel. And so trying to leverage that advantage is is a key to us because it's it is attractive, particularly to a growing segment of the uh, of the population. So so that's one. And then, you know, second is and, and we'll maybe talk a little bit more about this is just the impacts that we see of climate change on our operations, on our customers and our employees. And so the need to address those events is is driving us as well. And then we, you know, I, I may touch on this again later, but we have a very simple set of values at Amtrak and it's do the right thing, put customers first and excel together. And, and those things 
together kind of uh, impel us to want to address the issues of climate change and sustainability. And so so that drives us forward. So and, and just taking our mission as being able to deliver more mobility, intercity passenger rail transportation to the to the country, we need to do that in a sustainable way if we're going to be successful. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. So can I just bring you in here? Because I know you were recently uh, doing some work for an investor in Rhodes who was very much interested in how their asset performance was impacting across sustainability. Absolutely. And I think what was quite intriguing in some of the things you said just there, Dennis, and, and, and linking it back to the to the sustainability work we were looking at for road asset was how naturally what you rightly said rail is a sustainable mode and then therefore what you're trying to achieve is is to then take that agenda further so i i actually wanted to get kind of you know your perspective on what does sustainability mean at amtrak what's your key objectives well, our key objectives relate to reducing our our emissions, right? And I think we'll talk about our our climate commitment, but it's got a it's it's a rather ambitious agenda that we've got, right? We've uh, and we can talk maybe about about more specifics, but um, we've got a pledge to achieve net zero by twenty forty five, and there are a lot of elements that go into reaching that achievement. Big picture, reducing our impact on the environment, the um, and particularly contributions to warming and climate change, making our railroad more resilient and being able to withstand that some of the impacts that we experience because of climate change, and and really having our whole organization be attuned to those issues and working to make us better and and find solutions. Understood. And then when you are looking at achieving those objectives, I noted that you talk about a data-driven approach in assessing all these objectives. Could you talk a little bit more about what does this data-driven approach involve? Well, it involves uh, in a few different ways. One, you know, in looking at, you know, where are really the topics that we should be addressing? We, you know, we did take an approach, uh, kind of an AI-driven approach to see what are really the, the relevant topics that across our industry and, and public kind of at large, what are the topics related to sustainability that are, that are really important? And so we were glad to see that the key topics that we are already addressing are the ones that that really resonate. So that's one place where where data comes in. The other one is just in really the nuts and bolts is our, you know, looking at our where are the key sources of emissions? Our fuel is fuel use is of course the the biggest one. Diesel fuel that operates most of our trains is our biggest source. And so the the data about our fuel use, the data about our electricity use and how that electricity is generated. And then looking at things that we can do to improve, like how often our locomotives are sitting idling and uh, creating emissions that they really don't need to, so that we could that that's something that we can address to try to reduce emissions. And also, as we have looked at 
assessing where our our biggest risks are, you know, particularly when it gets to resiliency, um, using climate models to predict where changes in you know in sea level or temperature or or other climate events are going to occur so that we can assess risk, identify where we really have to to take action to improve our resiliency. Interesting. And then picking up one of the points you made earlier about using AI in actually understanding the real risks that sits on, on, on across the network, across the assets that you own and operate. One of the quite peculiar pushback against AI that we are starting to hear is about how some of these technological changes shifts towards net zero, pushes towards sustainability is leaving people behind, people who don't have those skills and don't have those capabilities. Is that something that comes in your consideration when you are making those choices of how does Amtrak become more sustainable? You know, I'm not sure that that I necessarily see that as a, um, from my standpoint, as a threat of our sustainability efforts. I mean, in fact, we find that as we're trying to engage our workforce uh, on on solutions that you know, I was we're not don't need. I don't. I don't think to employ AI in, in that regard. It's really the you know that practical knowledge of people who are running the railroad who help us uh, identify potential solutions or you know changes to our process that that can make us can make us better. So you know, while in general there are areas where you know where AI may have impacts on. Uh, uh, could have some negative impacts. Uh, I don't think that this is one of them for for us. Understood. No, that's that's helpful. I'll 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 bring Mike in at this point because I know Mike and me have been discussing on some of these points quite extensively because it's so asset and context specific. But I, I'm, I'm I want to go back to the people bit, Dennis. You know, twenty two thousand people, as you said, now so still still growing, and uh, as you say, and. I was taking my when I was reading some some of your your plans and initiatives, just how much you're seeking to drive change through through your employees and but also by influencing customer behaviour as well. And I wondered how are you finding that journey? Is everybody on that journey with you? Because that's that's a big task, but it is the way that success is going to come about in terms of both net zero, but just generally the volunteering and community groups and uh, and participating in communities. Yeah, I think I would say that short answer yes. But nevertheless, we you know we're we are embarking on an increase in our focus on sustainability. Um, it's it's new to a lot of people, right? So we we need to be bringing people along. So some of the things that we've been doing are, I mean, first of all, integrating sustainability goals into our overall strategic planning. Uh, and so in our annual plans, we have got specific goals for improving sustainability. We've got a group of folks who who are you know form a committee that's that's focused on sustainability, but then we're also one thing we actually just did this year is we instituted sustainability training, you know, just kind of awareness and and what sustainability means for us for all of our management employees to make sure that folks understand what we're about. When we did have our our board approve a climate commitment, including our net zero pledge, communicating that out across the company to get people involved. And, and we're very fortunate in having a workforce. You know, many people come to Amtrak because it is kind of mission-driven. They are mission-driven folks who, who come here. And so they want to 
do the right thing and uh, and help put customers first. So, uh, you know, so I think it's it's not a big lift to get people to be interested in in helping us try to find solutions. That that integration into management thinking into strategic planning does that relate to your uh, double materiality framework that I was reading in in, in your sustainability report? The the idea that you were going to think about those criteria as you operate and as you plan for the future. Well, I think it does, um, in some sense, relate. We did, as we were doing that assessment, uh, materiality assessment, it was it was double. So we looked at both the impacts financially, strategically for uh, the organization, but also the, the social and, and external impacts as well. And since we are a very much a mission-driven organization, that does lead us to want to integrate sustainability more into what we're doing. And then just following up on that, Dennis, are you starting to see this as not so much of a top-down board and management-driven thinking or given the breadth of employees you've got, are you starting to see that shift from a bottom-up driven thinking? I think we're probably still seeing both, candidly, right? We're, we're definitely, there's a lot of the top-down because our, our management is very cognizant of, of what we need to accomplish. But as I said, we have... A lot of our workforce is very interested in helping us find these solutions. So we, in particular, you know, we just recently in the last couple years had set up an, an innovation group specifically as it's now our, you know, what we used to call IT is now digital technology and innovation. Um, and it's, it's not just computer related things. It's focused on innovation that can help us get better, not just in sustainability, but also in customer service and in efficiency so that we can have more efficient operations. But sustainability is a key part of it. And one of the things that the innovation group is helping us do is reach across the company to get ideas, you know, really kind of have a portal for employees to give us their ideas about things we can do. And sustainability is one of the one of the areas where we use that platform to try to get ideas. Crowdsourcing, very interesting. Now, just kind of, you know, looking over to your customers, the 6,500,000 customers that, that you're aiming to serve or are, are serving and, and, and almost looking outwards, have you, have, you, have you started considering how some of the behavior change that is starting to awareness about climate change, awareness about sustainability growing, that starting to impact your customers' behavior? Is that starting to, are you starting to see any of that change in your business? Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, there, you know, as there's, as there's more awareness just in the general public about sustainability, that makes people more open and interested in, in our mode. Uh, so, you know, a lot of, as we look at uh, looking at tracking trends in the in the transportation business, you know, we do see that the data says that more travelers are more interested in sustainable modes of travel. That's great for us because that's that is us, um, and particularly as um, you know, younger adults are e even more attuned and interested. So as we grow and as we go forward, we expect that the, the consumers of tomorrow are going to be even more interested in our sustainable mode of transportation. And again, I can 
only speak from my own personal experience of having to choose between renting a car or borrowing a car from one of my relatives in San Jose to go up to Sacramento how convenient and how comfortable it was including a you know absolutely perfectly working wifi where i could get on calls and have conversation with my colleagues and take pictures of the beautiful mountain with the river beds around it it was fantastic and i couldn't believe that none of the relatives who i have who've been living in san jose for about 30 years had considered that choice so i i can see that in action on my own because on this side of the pond in europe it's natural for us to jump on a train to travel between cities whereas it's not the case in that part of the world which which you are serving so that that shift must be really encouraging for you as a business you as 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 a sustainable employer it is and and yeah after after what you just said we need to enlist you for marketing um so but you know and 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 speaking of our marketing when we you know we put a lot of um sustainability themed posts uh up on our on social media and they tend to be our most viewed posts among our most viewed posts so you know we do see that the the people who are engaging with us on modern platforms are very much interested in sustainability fantastic fantastic i'll i'll loop in mike again because i know mike mike wants to cover more topics <laughs> we've listened to your vacation uh, stories which is great but uh, one of the other stories that we you know we've we, we've all been seeing i think both both sides of the atlantic is the extreme weather that we've we, we've seen so on the continent here in europe we've seen excessive heat but clearly in the united states we've seen exceptional rainfall wind and and i was just dennis i don't know if you want to amplify some of the operational consequences that you've had to face in recent years that because I read a read quite a bit in your in your sustainability report about just the, the the practical costs and the damage to future revenue that you've suffered as a as a result of climate change. Yeah, Mike, um, I I would be happy to expand on that. So um, you're right, there are some significant impacts, and you know I would probably make a distinction between the severe weather that impacts our business on a regular basis. Um, you know, there's there's always been some of that, but the trend of more intense, more frequent events, like the big heavy precipitation events and the longer lasting heat waves, that's a newer and increasing phenomenon. So, you know, if we looked back, just to to put a few numbers on it, over the the stretch from 2006 to 2019, we lost uh, about $127 million in, uh, in ridership revenue from over 450 different climate disruption events that had the greatest service impacts. So it's pretty big. Um, this year, we've had, we had to truncate service um, in Southern California, um, one of those beautiful routes that one could, could travel. But um, along the corridor near the Del Mar Bluffs and San Clemente, because of coastal erosion and then landslides that have been caused by really historic rainfall. So that's a severe impact. We had, you know, many riders who we could not transport. We've got, uh, again, in California, in, in Palm Springs, because of windblown sand, we've had to cancel service um, since June of this year because uh, we, we're not able to keep the sand off the tracks there. Now, hurricanes are something we, you know, we prepare for every year. So, you know, our emergency preparedness team looks at the, the NOAA, you know, National Atmospheric Administration, um, forecast for the hurricane season. And then that way we can, we can plan 
with our staff in places like New Orleans or Miami or Orlando that are likely to be most impacted. And we'll change how we operate. You know, we will uh, we'll look at kind of a radius around the where the storm track's going to be, and and we'll you know cancel service preemptively or proactively so that we can prioritize employee and customer safety, um, but then limit the disruptions that might happen in transit and mitigate any damage to our equipment. So that also, of course, then is is causing revenue and ridership loss. So and then sometimes those storms, when they do come, even when we prepare for them, they could be much more much more than we expect. So Hurricane Ida um, in September of 2021, for instance, we ended up having to cancel 25,000 tickets. We ended up at uh, our, our 30th Street, William H. Gray III station in Philadelphia was flooded. We had $4 million worth of damage um, at the station there. And it, we lost about $1.6 million in revenue from that event. So, so that's a big one. And then the other one that we're encountering more and more is the days of really high heat. And when we've got really high heat, of course, that causes expansion of the rail. High ambient temperatures will cause either us on our own railroad or our host railroads, who we travel most of our train miles over, to institute speed restrictions or slow orders. And, and when that happens, you know, of course, we're slowing down the trains. They're going to take longer to get where they're going to get. That can lead to unhappy customers because we're we're late, but also just drives more cost. Ends up we we burn more fuel because we're out on the railroad longer. Um, could happen to where our our crews reach the end of their you know their regulation time and uh, time out, and so we've got to have a relief crew come, and so that drives additional costs. So lots of uh, lots of impacts there, and you know we're seeing more of those high heat days as we go along. I get you, and. So tackling it, you, you've got the bold ambition, 2045, net zero. Uh, and there's the three prongs that you're you're relating to, I believe, on vehicles, infrastructure, and supply chain. I just wondered, do you, do you want to sort of say what the key missions or initiatives are, are those, under those three? Uh, sure. We actually, we kind of group them into four. We include, we include one that's strategy. So really that's kind of setting our, our overarching the kind of the backplate, right, of what we need to achieve. We've got to identify, you know, what are what are the metrics and reporting that we're uh, going to be doing, and um, what are the partnerships that we have to develop. Uh, what are the overall goals? So that's the that's the strategy piece. But then um, the other pieces, as you mentioned, are vehicles, infrastructure, and then our supply chain and um, and business operations. So. You know, really, that helps us get things organized, get the right you know champions and leaders in those different categories to help propel us forward. So, as I said, strategies that gives us the policies, the governance, the communication, so that we can organize the overall program. The vehicles is you know both our equipment that we carry our customers on. And the equipment that we use to maintain operations. And as I mentioned before, 
diesel fuel use is by far our biggest source of emissions. I mean, it's it's about sixty eight percent of our um, of our GHG emissions. So so vehicles are key. Infrastructure again, we can we focus on the electricity that we're buying and how that's generated. Looking at on-site generation, renewable energy generation, um, transitioning our mechanical systems in our stations and our buildings to, to zero emissions. So between the, the vehicles and the infrastructure, that addresses m- the majority of, of scopes one and two. And then our value chain is, you know, is actually you know, complex and it's carbon intensive. Um, and so we are, you know, we're really starting to tackle that a bit more now. Not that well, we're, we're starting to tackle the other pieces too, because they're, they're going to take some doing to address particularly the, uh, the diesel fuel use. But, um, but supply chain, we're, we're really, you know, building up our capabilities to understand the upstream parts of the, the value chain and, and how we can influence the reductions in emissions there as well. I'm intrigued by the the supply chain, and I don't know if you would call the host railroads part of your supply chain or, or their partners as such. But are they on the journey with you? Are they ahead, behind? I mean, how? What's the cooperation, and the, 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 is there a shared goal that you're all driving to? Yeah, the um, I don't know that we have a we don't have a formal shared goal. I wouldn't say, but yeah, you know, but they are on the journey, and as well, and uh, and in fact, we think that. We have a lot in common in in what we're trying to pursue with the freight railroads, the host railroads. I mean, I guess all railroads in general, right? So, and many of them, many of the the freight railroads, frankly, are ahead of us in trying to uh, some pilot some new technologies. Some of them. So, um, so it it is actually an area where uh, where we can have some uh, some good cooperation, and I think be able to. To learn from each other and and you know really find kind of the the win win situations, which is great to find with our uh, with our host railroads. Dennis, I would quite like to go back to that mind boggling numbers that you were just telling us about how much these climate events are impacting and how acutely you are starting to see their monetary impact. That's that's fascinating. I think that's really important to actually value these impacts, but then. In terms of what typically has been the approach to respond to such events has been either adaptation or mitigation is what we've seen elsewhere. How are you going about in your assessment on what what is your strategy and how is the cost benefit assessment of these measures being taken to, to assess what is most impactful in specifically these climate event scenario? Yeah, well, I guess a few things. I mean, one, as, as I said, for some of the events that we can anticipate trying to you know make adjustments to our operations so we can avoid some of the impacts now you know if we're canceling service because of a major storm that's obviously not helping us with the with the revenue um, impact and ridership impact but it nevertheless it's it's having the advantage of of keeping you know people and equipment safe so that's 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 key but otherwise, it is a lot of uh, mitigation, and it's looking at, with our risk assessments and vulnerability assessments, identifying where the biggest risk areas are, try to identify what sort of 
you know, reinforcement of, of the railroad, uh, the infrastructure we can, we can undertake to, to try to improve our ability to withstand these, um, these impacts. Um, and obviously, you know, as we, in our view, as we get more people to, to ride rail, we're going to help with reducing emissions. So, uh, so that's going to help too, but really trying to identify wh- where are the, the most impactful mitigations that we can undertake and, and trying to adjust our operations to avoid the biggest impacts. Understood. And then picking up one other statistic, you can tell I love numbers, that 68% of your emissions are through your diesel emissions. What's your strategy to mitigate that aspect? Yeah, well, the it starts from the small to the big, right? So we, um, you know, we talked about idling. Um, so just being mindful, prudent about times when we don't need to be running the, the locomotive and, uh, and therefore not uh, creating those emissions. So that can have an impact. We have already this year converted to renewable diesel in a number of locations in California. So started on, on that journey, that, that gives a 63% reduction in emissions versus regular diesel. So, so that's part of the journey. And then the you know, we, we do have uh, also in some of the fleet decisions we've made recently where we've, you know, brought on, you know, or bringing in, replacing our older locomotives, our old P-42 locomotives are, are being replaced with more efficient and lower emission, uh, more modern technology. So already on that part of the journey, it, this isn't so much replacing, but more of our Growth being on the Northeast Corridor, where we're electrified, moves a little bit more traffic onto um, non-diesel alternatives. But then as we go forward, we are figuring out what it's going to take to to change the propulsion. And so looking at battery or hydrogen or whatever other technology may come along, that's going to be able to help us. But, you know, trying to, we are actively working on plotting the path for, okay, if we're going to get to net zero by 2045. What's it going to take to change the propulsion and, uh, and how are we going to get there? Have we covered the topics that you would like to get across? Is there anything you'd like to go back to or anything that we have not addressed, but you think you, you haven't given me an opportunity to talk about it yet? The thing that maybe I'd add is that while we've taken the the net zero pledge by 2045, our climate commitment also included the some things we've already talked about, but kind of the the guideposts or mileposts along the way. So trying to get to carbon free electricity and in a in a shorter time frame making reductions in diesel fuel use in the you know in the near term while we are still working on the the big you know step change impacts that we'll have later really trying to incorporate sustainability resiliency into all our business operations that's part of our our overall climate commitment as well we see this ambitious goal of doubling riders as one of your ambitions. We also see your ambitious goal to go net zero by 2045. And the way I translate that is effectively disconnecting what I would call your your business's growth from your emissions growth. So 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 these that's how I see these two goals to be achieved together. Um, you talk about 
your your expansion plans in the connect us vision how central is sustainability to that vision uh, it's well it's it's very central because as we have as we've talked about our mode is by its nature more sustainable so the more we get people out of their cars and onto the trains that's going to help us in driving sustainability so so it, it is a little bit uh sort of kind of two-pronged it's one um, make our operations more sustainable reduce emissions in the operations that we already have and the future operations as well as get more people to be traveling by train so that we're um, having kind of that double impact of not only making the travel by train more sustainable, but having more people travel by train. And, and we really are in that growth vision. Yeah, we're focused on the places where and the, and the corridors where we think that uh, intercity passenger rail really can be competitive with uh, with other modes of travel you know so largely you know more of those shorter you know shorter hauls 300 miles or less and there the the benefits of rail travel versus air are, are even higher because the a, a short haul flight is is really even more carbon intensive than than a longer haul in some ways um, on a kind of per mile basis so there's more value there we're able to be more uh, trip time competitive in in those kinds of routes and those are the places where particularly in the U.S. where we've seen some significant population growth in major metropolitan areas and it, particularly in some places that don't have a lot of inner city passenger rail um, today. They are they're bigger metro areas. There are more people who could and would benefit from having a rail option. That's going to give people an opportunity to, to take this more sustainable form of transportation. Thank you. No, and from my own personal experience, I can completely concur. You know, the time I spent between San Jose and Sacramento, I was able to make so much value out of that. So even actually having a slower ride time was a benefit for me because I could finish my meetings and finish my conversations and not have the tense of driving and finding a parking and worrying about people hitting me on the road or whatever. So I completely concur with you, but thank you. Dennis, let me ask you, uh, I, not, they're meant to be easy questions, but you might find them challenging. I suppose one thing is, if there was one thing that you could ask for that would m help the journey of Amtrak achieve its net zero goal, what would that be? And if there's one thing you'd like to share with our, our listeners, what would that be? Let's see. One thing we could ask for. Well, one thing, uh, maybe I'll say two things. One is the, you know, we really do need the advancement of the, the technological innovation. So, I don't know who. I, I, yeah, I'm kind of asking the world for this one, I guess. But um, but really, we you know, as we talked about, the diesel diesel fuel use is the biggest portion of our emissions, and um, and so being able to to find the practical, efficient solutions that are gonna going to let us change that propulsion is key. And I guess that's where it gets to the second one is you know that that doesn't come for free, and so we you know we need continued investment in um, in our mode of transportation to be able to uh, to get there. So that's maybe the you know, combined one thing, you know, sort of yeah. two things for one that I'd ask. And then, you know, in terms of a message, the what I would want to convey is that we are interested and, and we are committed to being 
responsible stewards. And part of what we do in, in our role as, as America's Railroad is, is responsible stewards of the taxpayer's money. So we look to be efficient and, and effective and responsible stewards of the, the resources that we use. And so, you know, we, we want to make our more sustainable mode of transportation available to more people, be able to give those options. And we're, we're looking forward to welcoming more people aboard. That sounds great. I mean, it, I'm, well, thank, look, we're out of time. Thank you so much for participating. I have to say, one of my reflections going away, I don't know, sir, but you're going to have a reflection or two. But first of all, it, it's an exciting time. I just get, I love the ambition you've put out there. I love that you've got at the moment the, the additional funding that's coming towards America's railroad, as you said, to, to expand and, and meet your ridership goals. You're making good progress. It, it just seems like a, a really exciting time. And I particularly like the tactics of that idea of integrating the thinking into the ways of being, the, the strategic planning, put the objectives in there to think more holistically around sustainability as you operate and plan for the future. Serb, any last reflections? I think my main takeaway from this conversation is that, you know, from almost thinking about double materiality, this is about double impact. The point that you made, Dennis, about first getting people out of their, their cars into a sustainable mode. And then when they are on that mode, there is all the best that is possible to make that mode itself sustainable. So that's the double impact messaging that I am taking away from this. So, but no, that, that, that's, that's, that's the real reflection for me from this conversation. So thank you, Dennis. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk to you about an exciting topic and, and to talk about the exciting times we're having here at Amtrak. A vitally important thing. So thank you very much for sparing the time with us, Dennis. Thank you, Serb, for contributing as well. And thank you for listening in, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. Go to steergroup.com if you want to see some more of these uh, or listen to more of these and read some of our other conversations we've had with other leaders. Until next time, thank you very much. Oh,